0: Well, good morning, Element. (laughs) So glad you're here. And those of you joining us online, we're happy that you can do that, that we have the technology for you to be able to follow along with us and join us in the singing and all that. That's just wonderful. I'm Steve Pruitt. And it is a privilege for me, as always, to be able to share from God's word with you. It might help you to follow along a little bit if you pick up a copy of the notes that are on the tables, and I don't care if you just get up and go do it. Uh, there are some questions in there and some ways that you can follow along. Uh, also, if you have the version app, some of your devices will just call it Bible app, you can go to that and then click on more and Events and elements should show up and you should be able to follow along with us there as well. And if none of those things works for you, there are two screens here that you can follow or you can stare at me. I just, there's lots of options. (laughs) Our passage for today is Psalm 131, which is one of the songs of ascent that we've been looking at uh, over several weeks now. Uh, I kind of smiled when Aaron asked me to do a message on humility. Uh, and that he didn't even mind doing it out of order in order to get me to do it. <laughs> I, I just kind of smiled and, and I might have trembled just a little bit as well it's a bit of a no-win situation to actually speak on the subject of humility, if, as you can imagine. Uh, it's a little bit like working on an electric circuit, changing out a circuit breaker without turning the electricity off. It might go really well, but then it could actually turn out to bite you pretty badly. And so I'm, I'm aware of that and I have a sneaky suspicion that Aaron knew that as well and that's why he chose the bench to come in and speak this morning. Um, You might notice in the handout that I am not calling this humility and how I attained it. I thought about it for a moment I thought it might be catchy but If you didn't see through it, I knew that the Lord certainly would, and it could be one of those zap moments for me, so I'm not calling it that. But fair warning, today as we look at Psalm 131, we are all going to be confronted with this idea of humility. But the good news is is that Psalm 131 is not a command to be humble. And it's also not a condemnation on those who slip up in this or who are not humble. Instead, what it is, is an honest testimony of a person who is actually working on it, just as we are. The author was the youngest son of Jesse, a shepherd boy named David, you might have heard about him who was chosen to be Israel's second king. Now, the first king, Saul, started out very humbly. In fact, when he thought he might be chosen, he was actually hiding among the luggage because he just didn't dream that it would ever be him. But eventually, Saul got so full of himself that he actually stopped listening to God and started taking things into his own hands. So the Lord eventually let him know that his term as king was coming to an end and that he was choosing this little upstart named David to rule Israel. Saul was paranoid and sometimes even possessed, and so he tries to kill David off and on, over a period of about eight years, and David is on the run during that time. But the Lord protected him all the way through, and um, yet he found himself in some very, very humbling circumstances all the way through that time, living as a hunted man. Then, once he was king, Once David was in, he had lots of opportunities to learn humility as king, both through his failures and through his successes. There was a time when his wife, Michal, ridiculed him for being undignified as he stripped off his kingly robe and danced in what she thought was his underwear uh, in public just uh, to worship the Lord. And there was also a time when um, this prophet friend of his named Nathan came to him and pointed right at him and accused him of murdering Uriah the Hittite in order to cover up his adultery. David had an opportunity then to be very humble. There was also a very unusual time where this guy came out of the rocks or something, his name was Shimei, and he was throwing rocks at David and cursing at him and calling him all kinds of stuff. And David could have had him killed right there. In fact, one of his men just said, hey, this isn't right, just say the word and I'll go over and I'll lop off his head. And David said something very interesting at that point. He said, no, leave him alone Who knows, but that the Lord might have told him to curse me. That was an opportunity for humility for David. Now, some have seen Psalm 131 as David's defense against accusations that may have been made against him, that he was just proud and overachieving and all this stuff to build up his own esteem and all that, that that this was written as a response to that. And really, it could be, but we don't really know that that's what this is, because there aren't any events mentioned here that um, give us a context for calling it that kind of a defense. What we do know, as we just look at the Psalm, is that He writes Psalm 131 as a prayer song, not to you and me, not to any accuser, but straight to God, his Father. He writes it as an honest account of his humility that he's had to learn the hard way. And he also writes it as a challenge to anybody who would end up reading this psalm, as we're probably going to find out as we walk our way through it. Let's take a look at this prayer song, and as is our tradition, how about if you stand for the reading of God's word? Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. You may be seated. Short and sweet. The first thing we notice right here at the beginning in verse 1 is that this actually is one of the Psalms of Ascent. Not hard to to discern that because he says it right there. It was chosen to be part of Israel's heart preparation as they went up to Jerusalem along with all of those other Psalms. And I can just picture the worshipers arriving within sight of the city and feeling the need to do a little bit of heart check before they come into the presence of the Lord. You ever feel that way? You know, you're about to pray and you kind of feel like, well, wait a second, there's a little bit of dirt here. I need to sort of, you know, I need to clean up a little bit. This, uh, I I can't imagine, but that they were uh, thinking that as they're getting closer to Jerusalem. And this psalm would be a perfect prep for that time, but I also can't help but think that any of the honest people among them would have a little bit of a hard time actually singing this song. You ever have a a, a worship song that is kind of like that and it's making all of these claims, I am this and this, and you're going, no, I'm not, I'm not, and you just sort of go mute for a little while until you get past the tough spot This whole psalm is kind of like that. Some people have actually objected to singing this psalm because they are sometimes proud. They are sometimes haughty. They have not quieted their souls. They're coming in just full of junk. But I like to think of this psalm as an opportunity actually to reshape our thinking and to for us to speak to our hearts about what we're reaching for. If you look at it that way, makes total sense. It can serve as a sort of a reset button for us where we rethink our position in God's kingdom and we prepare to meet Jesus face to face. Charles Spurgeon once said that this is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. And he is so right, as he often was. The journey towards humility is not quick, it's not easy, and it's not over until we actually meet Jesus face to face and we get rid of this sin nature that plagues us and drags us everywhere. And if you're anything like me, you probably have to hit your reset button pretty often. On any given day, it can be many times a day. Today I want to look at this prayer not so much as David's brag sheet as it at first glance might look like, or even as a, an autobiography of David, but maybe as a portrait that paints a picture of a humble person. It might be a self-portrait, and in many ways it is, but as usual, there's a lot that God can teach us through a close look into David's heart on the issue of humility. So let's dig in. David says in verse 1, My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Well, the first thing you see in the portrait is, as you look at it as a portrait, um, is that the humble have a realistic view of their position. When David says, My heart is not proud, he's talking about his position in the grand scheme of things. He's talking about his view of, of himself in this. Think about it. Pride puts you in the center of your universe. And it expects that you that that the, the universe naturally is going to orbit around you, but the humble have learned, if you look at this as a portrait, the humble have learned that they are not in the center and they are not on the throne. They take a proper stance outside the center where they can actually see the glory of the one who is in the center as long as you're in the center, you're not seeing that. You're trying to absorb it yourself. C.S. Lewis once said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. When I'm tempted to grab people's focus, Notice I didn't say if I ever, but when I am tempted to do that, the Lord will often remind me that I don't have to be in the center of every conversation. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room or even the best speaker. It's okay for me to be the person that he's made me to be and to just focus on using what he's given me without getting all proud about it or worried about maybe what he's given to others that I don't have. James says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the father of lights and not from me anyway. Those gifts I did not build into myself autonomously and decide that I was going to have this talent but not that talent and all that. No, those are things that are given to us. Another way David describes this uh, proper view of his position is when he says, my eyes are not haughty. How many of you have used that word in the last week? That's what I thought. We just, that's kind of an old word. It's talking about lifting up the eyes, but it's in order to be able to look down on somebody else. We would call it looking down your nose at someone. That's what a haughty look is. The haughty look is a serious sin In fact, it tops the list of the seven things that God hates in Proverbs 6. It tops the list. When you are haughty, you're thinking you're just a cut above someone else. You look down on them, usually to make yourself look a little bit better. That is a haughty look. And the best way for me To keep from looking down on others is to remember what I deserve. If I remember what I deserve, it helps me. And also, if I remember what I would be without my Savior. He is the one who makes us great. That is the truth. Sometimes, I like to see myself as a turtle on a fence post. Whenever you see a turtle on a fence post, you know darn good and well, it didn't get there by itself. Someone had to put it there, right? And I know that any successes or accomplishments or impact that I have had is because someone else has put me in that position and decided to use me. A divine someone has helped me along the way. That helps me not to have a haughty look. David knew all about this principle of somebody putting you in the position, and this is part of why he could be humble. He wrote in Psalm 18 It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me, now addressing God, you give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. However great you might be, it is because God stooped down to put you on that fence post. That is a help to us, to give us a humble attitude. David then goes on in verse 1 to say, My mind is not concerned with things too wonderful for me, with great matters or things too wonderful for me. When he speaks of great matters or wonderful things, he's not talking about beautiful, warm, fuzzy, wonderful things. He's not talking about that at all. The word wonderful here has to do more with difficult or hard things, things that are too hard to understand, things that are above my pay grade and that I have no clue about, things that are even beyond my capability to grasp. Part of knowing your position is knowing your capabilities, having a balanced view of your capabilities. You've been created, every one of you and myself as well, with certain features, certain traits, and some capabilities, but not all of them. God was pleased to make you the way that he did, pleased to give you the gifts and the talents that he knew would help him to accomplish his purposes through you on this earth. And he was even pleased to limit some of your capabilities. I've found this to be true in my own life. Um, I'm fairly good at mechanical things. Um, Not the best but God has given me, uh, he's just kind of made me that way where I can look at something and kind of figure it out and fix it. And I come from a whole clan of people who were like that. My grandfather, my dad, you know, they were fixers. And, um, and so that's something that God has implanted in me. I'm fairly good at that. But it would be a big mistake to ask me, To build a rocket to the moon because I am not good at math I took algebra 1 in high school three times (laughs) math is just not my forte and I know that it, it never will be and that's okay because my workaround is to stay married to someone who is good at math. (laughs) As a team, Sue and I are brilliant (laughs) at math. And you know, David reminds us here that the humble know their limitations and they know when to tap out and tap into someone who knows what they're doing. The humble will do that. They will tap out and tap into someone who knows. It's okay not to be good at everything. It really is. Our creator God is the only one who really knows all things and the only one who does all things well. There's none other like him. And the humble know that and they learn over time to tap into his wisdom and also to tap into other people that he's given other gifts to. So that's a summary of the things that David is saying that he's not doing. His heart is not proud, his eyes are not haughty, and his mind is not absorbed with things that are too difficult for him to grasp. He's not ashamed to tap out when he needs to. Then he makes another declaration in verse 2 that really is beautiful. It starts with the word but, so that tells you it's a contrast to what he's not doing, Um, what he's doing instead of acting out all of this other stuff. He says, But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Here we see something else about the humble that is really beautiful. Not only do they have a clear view of their position, they are also content in their position. He says, I have stilled and quieted my soul. Even though I might tend to be restless and want more, I have quieted My soul, he says, I'm like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, a weaned child, quiet in its mother's arms, is not demanding milk, the thing that he or she is used to getting from mama. He's not looking for what she has to give him, but is quieted in his spirit focused on the joy of just being with mom and resting comfortably there. Instead of all this other stuff buzzing around your head of where you ought to be, what your position is, what you need out of people and all of that, you are content and resting. Isn't that cool? That's just a beautiful image. In the late 1800s, A.B. Simpson wrote a hymn that captures the progress we go through as we begin to relax our demands on God and we begin to just enjoy Him. It was called, Once It Was the Blessing. Here it is. Spoken, not sung. (laughs) Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gift I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. Wonderful. That is, it's actually a really long hymn with way too many verses as usual, but that's the gist of it right there. How great it is when the Lord starts to wean us away from thinking about what we can get out of him. And we start just resting in his arms, basking in his presence, and just enjoying the love that he's already given us. Just being content to be near him. Next, the psalm turns from David's inward look an outward challenge to the people of God. He says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Now, if we stick with this portrait motif, that this is a portrait of the humble, we see here that the humble have a solid confidence in their promise-keeping God. Bear with me here. David says, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. The hope that he speaks of here is not like wishful thinking, hope so, hope. It's a confident expectation. And he says to put that confident expectation in the Lord. Now, in most of your Bibles, Lord will be in caps. And that means that David's using the personal name of God, Jehovah. The name that speaks of the self-existent, always there covenant-keeping God, always there in the past, the present, and the future. And so as the people of God, our confident expectation is to be not in what we can get out of our God, but in Jehovah himself, the eternal covenant-keeping Never failing God. That is what we reach for. David says, Hope in Him both now in the present and forevermore in the future. Rely on Him now for His forgiveness of your sinful past, that you are now in a a status of a forgiven one, for His strength in your difficult present, the thing that you're facing right now, and for his faithfulness in handling your uncertain future. This is what he's calling on us to do. The previous psalm, Psalm 130, actually ended with that same challenge to Israel. He said in verse 7, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So in him is redemption from sin in the past. In him is constant love in the present and final full redemption in the future. How does it get any better than that? Every other hope seems puny. In comparison to that, an eternal hope that is provided for us because of our relationship with God. Amazing. One of the traits of the humble and the keys to humility then is to have a a solid confidence in a promise-keeping God. The more we are able to rest in Him and the more we trust Him, the less we need out of others. We need less attention. We need less recognition. And that's because we are content with what we've already been given and what's still promised to us after whatever ordeal we're going through is over. All right, I think you'll agree that even though this is a short psalm, it's got lots of things to challenge us. And I think it's true that, as some have said, that we often have no right to even sing this song. But even though we might be sometimes proud and we're sometimes haughty and we sometimes haven't quieted our souls, and we sometimes aren't content with our situation or with what God is giving us, I think this psalm is an opportunity for us to hit that reset button, to reshape our thinking, and speak to our hearts about what we are reaching for. David said in one point, I, I said to my soul, the Lord is good, or something like that. And, and we actually tell ourselves what we're going to believe. And this psalm can be that. And it can also, as we even speak the words, the Holy Spirit can use that word to say, well, well what about this area? <laughs> what about that area? And it gives us opportunity just to get that cleared up. It's good. You know, the Apostle Peter was early on in his life a very proud man with a tendency to make all kinds of rash claims that were both proud and haughty. Sometimes said he had like foot and mouth disease because of the things that he said. But he was very proud sometimes and even haughty. He said at, at one point, You know, Lord, these other guys might deny you, but not me, no matter what. Now, there is pride and haughtiness both in that statement. That didn't work out so well, did it? Yeah. But after his relationship with Jesus matured and mellowed, he learned to keep that tendency in check. He wrote from experience in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5. He said, To his readers, all of you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Like King David, Peter saw this play out in his life and here he passes that lesson onto us so we can learn from his mistakes and his successes in the area now after digging into this psalm i can see very clearly that for us humility is not so much a claim that we ever want to make because we really know better if we're honest it's more of a position that we take a position that is realistic a position that is not in the center of our universe, a position that's okay with not being good at everything, a position that's able to rest content and happy in the arms of one who cares for us. And it's also a position, that little addendum in the psalm of confident hope in our promise-keeping God, that he is going to continue to be there. We can hope in him for our yesterday, our today, and our forever, because Jesus Christ is the same. What? Yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, we're going to leave it there for today, and I, I would encourage you to go back through the psalm this week and let it do its work to reset your heart where it needs to be reset and to refresh your confidence don't stop at the reset because then you kind of go back to zero (laughs) let it restore your confidence as well not in yourself but in your unchanging eternal god i'm going to invite the band to come up and they're going to lead us in some more worship here um and we're going to have opportunity as they do for us to uh, share communion together. And uh, the way that we do communion here is a little bit different than some of your traditions. If you're new here, the elements for communion is this cool little kit, <laughs> which you probably have if you've been in the communion during the pandemic, that you just open up and there's bread on the top and uh, kind of bread and <laughs> and... Juice inside, kind of juice, and um, what we'll do is as the, you you can come up any time and get it in the back or here, and then as the uh, worship team is playing, just as your heart is ready, go ahead and take communion, and I would suggest today that as you um, take communion, that you remind yourself that it represents the body and blood of Jesus, whom Paul said, even though he was equal with God, at the center of everything, he stooped down to make us children of God. Even though he was in very nature God, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and as you take communion, just remember that he endured the death you deserve so that he could give you what you don't deserve, the grace of God and eternal salvation and an ever-present help in time of need. Let's pray together. Father, we, as we think about your challenge today about humility I pray that you would really do a work in our hearts. Help us to have a realistic view of our position in the grand scheme of things. Help us to be content in that position and to be satisfied with just being with you as we walk through life. Help us to focus our confidence uh, not on what we can do for ourselves, but on who you are, because you are our promise-keeping God, who is an ever-present help in time of need. And we know that it is a high and holy privilege for us just to have you dwelling in us and calling us your children. We're so thankful today for our Savior, who never changes, but who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.